Hey folks, Scotty Keogh here. Now, a wise man told me once, if you're gonna take advice off someone, just make sure he does it for a living. Cause if he gets it wrong, it affects his table. Now when it comes to feeding horses, I feed Riverina products. They've assembled this product with not only the best team of nutritionists available, but also collaborating with some of Australia's most prolific horsemen who have shown more horses and won more blue ribbons than anyone. So if you want to do the best thing by your horse, trust the professionals and use Riverina. You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh. If you want to take your horsemanship to the next level with downloadable videos, equipment, merch and DVDs with proven results, visit skhorsemanship.com.au and find out why they sell in nine countries with Scotty's clear, understandable methods with no gimmicks, just authentic horsemanship that will make your next ride a better one. So folks, when I'm having trouble with a horse, there's probably four Australian guys that I call when I'm looking for advice. This guy's in my top four. Okay, now I'd never heard the name Haggerty until I started working in Western Australia maybe eight or 10 years ago. I quickly learned over there that the Haggertys knew their stuff. I'm talking about old school horsemen. And every time this guy would help me out with something, something so freakily smart, I'd say to him, Ivan, where did you learn that? Nine times out of 10, he'd say, my dad showed me. So the Haggertys from Western Australia have a hell of a story. And today I'm joined with my good mate, Ivan Haggerty. How you going, mate? All right, how are you? Well, I'm really well, mate. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, for the people who don't know Ivan Haggerty, mate, tell me how old you are and what you're doing with yourself at the moment. Yeah, I'm 76 and I'm a manipulative therapist with horses. That's what I do now. Uh, I don't do as much as I did, but it keeps me going pretty well. Yeah, right. Well... So I guess I started staying with you, Ivan, on trips over there, and I knew you as a six-goal polo player, I believe, travelled the world. Your polo days were behind you by the time I met you and your training racehorses and chiropracting. Uh, but the Haggertys just have an amazing story, mate. Tell me, where do you even come from, and, and how did your dad and your pop and all that come into horses? Well, uh, I'm born into it on both sides of my family. Um Dad's dad's father was 14 when he left home and joined up with Kidman. And in at Jeps Cross in South Australia, came from Clare. He went with Kidman and he tells the story about how he walked in there with, with a horse and a, and a bedroll and said he was looking for a job. And Kidman says, chuck your bedroll on the, on the cart and, and get on your horse. He said, by the time they got off that night, he was that stuffed, he didn't know what to do. He said he pulled the saddle off and dropped it on the ground. Kidman kicked him up the backside and said, pick your saddle up, your horse has got to wear it all day tomorrow. So um, that was his start. That was the story he told me. And then um, and then there was, on Mum's side, there was her, her mother was the first woman to to actually ride astride in public in West Australia. So, and she used to ride work on racehorses. Yeah, right, eh? Yeah, Mum's dad was also a great horseman. He, um, and he was a contract cattle muster and drover in, in the Kimberleys. 
and mum was born at Marble Bar in the Pilbara. And as these kids got older, he worked his way south and eventually bought a farm at Coachnup. And that's where the Haggertys were. The Haggertys, granddad went, he heard his brothers were going to come to the west. So he left Kidman and came over and they brought a big team of horses, breeding stock and saddle horses and draft horses on a boat into Albany and headed headed north, cross country, four brothers, and um, took up a block of land at Cajunup as well. So, and they oh, went on for, for years selling and trading horses. And so that's how it started. Dad was the only one that, of all of them, probably that that made a living out of the horses. He was a he became a farmer, but he was a horseman that dabbled in farming. Um, the rest of the family all had horses and knew about horses, but they just um, they used them for business and for work, not for pleasure. Yep, and so that's where Dad went on from there. He just, um, and, yeah, what he didn't know about a horse wasn't worth knowing, really. It's crazy. You know, every time I, I say, uh, Ivan, where the hell do you learn that? And you'd say, oh, my dad, my dad, normally. He must have been quite freakly. And so there was a, didn't you, was your dad in that um, building dams and cleaning dams with heavy horses? Yeah, that's right. He was, they used to go out because he, um, he didn't have, a lot much of a farm at that stage it was all just virgin bush country and so he used to had a team of horses he used to go contract dam sinking and and harvesting and all that sort of thing he had Clyde styles and he um he apparently i don't don't know this the full story of it but he showed a, a team of six Clyde of eight Clyde style stallions in in hand all at once he took them to a show and went on there, and he had all these stallions harnessed up together and working horses. I'll be bugging. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a handful to have eight stallions in the one team. Yeah, wouldn't it? And, mate, they were doing horses' teeth and chiropractic back then, were they, your dad? <laughs> yeah, doing teeth was just part of, the, part of the deal. You fixed horses' teeth. You did, did that sort of thing. But um, And then dad... Oh, he was a great reader. He read everything. And he saw somewhere where somebody had done something to a horse that, that fixed it and said, oh, I'm like, this horse I got might do that. And and that's how he started. He used to manipulate horses and didn't know what he was doing, didn't have a name for it. It just he did things because it made horses feel better. That's incredible. Now, for the people listening, I'm going to – share with you a Stan Haggerty story, and I might get this wrong just by a little bit, but correct me, Ivan. You told me that when you were playing polo, it was the second to last chucker and you'd just spent your best mare. you come off the end of the chucker and your best mare was knackered. Like, I mean, she had the thumps. She was and what we call the thumps is when they're breathing as fast as their heart's going and they're sort of getting that knocking sound. <laughs> and you were dirty on yourself that you'd rode your mare so hard and your dad said, don't worry about a son, just ride out on this next horse and complete the last chucker. So you went out for the last chucker and you've locked it up. So now she's golden goal. And you're thinking, what the bloody hell am I going to ride? 
and your father said your mare's fresh again. And during that last chucker, he had laid that mare down completely on her side because he said tired horses have trouble lifting up their stomach. And he stood that mare up and she was fresh. And you went out there and ran the field, scored the, scored the winning goal and golden goal on that same mare. Did I get that story pretty right? Yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty accurate. Yeah, he actually, he actually convinced her to have a role. He, he hosed her down and got her to have a role. She reckoned, I've got to let the stomach settle back. And um, it's actually what he did. And she got up and she she probably wouldn't have gone a full chucker, but she was going well enough to get that one goal. But would anyone have showed them that? I mean, did some old boy, and I guess you got to remember, those guys used horses for a living. They needed their animals. They needed to care for them. I think sometimes we know less about them now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we know. Uh, we only know a little bit about him. Like, there's a vet here. He's, he's still practicing. He's quite old, but he's still practicing. And he said, I've been in the, in the horse breeding business for years and years. He said, and until I met Dan Haggerty, I didn't know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, your dad, did he go to war, mate? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he joined up and went to, finished up, he went to, um, Borneo. In, in a light horse or an infantry sort of brigade? They joined the light horse originally, but it was, it was more interesting. The horses were finished and, and they were – but he actually joined the, the 10th light horse, which was a division out of Western Australia. And um, But they didn't use horses at all, really. So he just went into an um, infantry thing and then he became um, – a um, unarmed combat specialist in jungle warfare. Yeah, right. So he was um, but a, a story with horses in, involved in that. He um, there's a quite a, a famous place that we we actually owned here called Wandekla, which is where there's a race meeting and polo cross carnival and polo carnival and everything happened at Wandekla. The local pony club used the grounds. And, but we owned that originally and it was named after Wandekla in Queensland. And that was because he was there in um, the Atherton Tablelands in the army and, they, um, and a fella came into the into the workshop one day, wanting to know if anybody could shoe his racehorse. Dad said, oh, yeah, I can probably do that for you. So, and he said, but I'll, I'll shoe him if I can ride him. And the bloke said, well, can you ride? Oh, I've done a bit. And he won, won the Wondekla Cup at the, at the race meeting. And that's how he came to name this place Wondekla yeah, without right. any thought of it ever becoming, having a racetrack. And it's been, we've been racing there for 50 years now. Yeah, right, eh? Um, so now moving on, you've got one sibling, Pearl Marriott. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, Pearl Marriott, yeah. So growing up, you, you were you guys uh, just kids that thundered around on horses? Were you the better yeah. riders yeah, in the we, district? we went to shows and played pole across and, and messed around like that for all our lives. We didn't know anything else. How far did you go in school? Uh, third year high school. Yeah, right. Can you remember your first job? Yeah, I went. I got transferred because I was asked not to go back to school. By the school, <laughs> and said I better give him a job. And he sent me up north to work for a mate of his on a cattle station 
in the Pilbara, just out of Marble Bar. I went up there, the bloke had said to Daddy, wanted a fellow that can ride, drive and shoot. And so I got the job. And um, that was the wildest few months of my life. Oh, up there. It was wild country. I bet. And we, and we were just catching scrub bulls. And as it, as it turned out, my grandfather had been the last man to muster Hillside Station 40 years before. Oh, gee, she was feral, eh? Yeah, so that was Mum's father, and so he did all these big clean skin bulls. We, um, the boss said he bought the place with a, with a um, guarantee of a thousand head of cattle on it, and we put three thousand clean skin bulls in into the into the market in the first three months. Holy hell! You'd like a deal yeah. like that again, wouldn't you? Oh, wouldn't it be good? You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh. So what, um, by the time you left school live and you could break in your own pony, things like that, you and Pearl? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, we'd done, we'd done a bit of working with Dad. Dad did a lot of breaking. And um, so we used to work with him and he'd get kids ponies to break in. We'd have to ride them from when we were sort of eight or nine years old. And was your dad, oh, I'm only guessing, uh, traditionally Australian long-range driving sort of man? Yeah, yeah, he did. And um, he uh, he changed. He was always open to to change. And so he, he got to um, to change a lot of techniques. He was very open-minded with his horses and he always used to say they, they've got to be comfortable with no matter what you're feeling, they've got to be comfortable. Yeah, um, right. To get him to, uh, I'll tell you a little story about him. He, um, the very first time we ever took horses to the east, I can't remember the year now, but it was a, seems a long time ago. Crossing the Nullarbor? Yeah, across the Nullarbor. He had a, had a great old gelding called Chief who was sort of at the end of his career. And he said, I don't think Chief can make the trip. I don't want to take him over there and and have him fail because he's just too old, you know. So he said, but i got this other horse here. I'm going to get him going. And I said, Dad, he's only three-year-old and he's not broken in. He <laughs> said, oh, he'll be right. Are he'll we, be right. Hang on, are we going to a polar cross tournament? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, going to a polar cross carnival, the national titles. Yeah, national Cow- titles. Yep. He says, he'll be all right. We'll get him going. Anyway, he played in the finals in the in the mixed championships in Cowra ninety days after he first rode him out of the round yard. And um, he says, "I think I probably overdid him a little later on in the horse's life." He said, "I think I probably overdid him in his life early on." He said, "He probably." He did exactly as I asked him all the time, but he never actually learnt the game for himself. Yep. And that was that was his attitude. I'll be buggered. They, they have to learn what you want them to do and want to do it. Made them better. Yeah, right. So let's uh, so getting back to you on them cattle stations, when and where do you sort of become a polo pro? Oh, that happened a long time ago. I, I played polo and I, I played polo before I left school, and um, I was always going to be a polo player. But um, 
And because I'm naturally left-handed, I made myself do everything I could right-handed. So, of course, you can only play polo right-handed. So I played in teams with Dad and teams against him. And and um, then eventually I was shoeing horses for a living. I'd left the farm and was shoeing horses and having to shoe too many horses to be able to afford to play polo. And the fellow from over east rang me and said, would you be interested in taking on a pro job, you know, as uh, running a club? And I said, oh, yeah, I'd be definitely interested in that. He said, well, the Carl Betzers are looking to change from Western horses to the polo ponies, and they want somebody to to run the show for them. Would you be interested? So I went over and had an interview and did all that, and, yeah, we moved over there. My wife and kids and I moved over there. What town was that in, mate? I was in Forbes. Okay, yep. Gemalong Station, Forbes. Uh, it's funny, actually, we went to the pub in Parks one day, the old railway pub in railway hotel in Parks, and there was a notice and a photo on the wall, and it was a story. My old grandfather had told me the story about this crazy fellow when they were in this town. He didn't even name the town. He said, we were in this town, and this bloke, Oh, he was talking a bit loud about his horse and reckoned it was pretty good. He said and in the end he had a hundred pound bet that he would go to, he could jump the six foot high corrugated iron wall outside the outside the pub. He said so we all went out there and, and watched this crazy man jump this six foot iron corrugated iron wall. He said and then he turned around and jumped back into the into the courtyard again. <laughs> and, and of course and I thought, oh yeah, old granddad's having a bit of a bit of a romance. But then when I got to the parks, the railway hotel in Parks, it's on the wall, and the wall still that was still standing there at that stage. And the fellow himself was breaking my out. No, we bargained, eh? Yeah. So she definitely happened. Yeah, definitely happened. So yeah. getting back to crossing the Nullarbor. So how many times would you have crossed that with horses? 58 times. 58 times. Now, compared your first trip to your last, you would have been in old trucks doing 30 mile an hour, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's right. No, good good day with the wind behind you, we could get nearly 50. No air conditioning? No air conditioning, no. Did you even know sort of where the best camping and watering spots were? I mean, you were driving off into the unknown a little bit. Well, we were. It was the first team of horses that ever gone over there in that capacity. And I suppose horses had gone on the trains before, but we drove over there. It was it was pretty exciting, really. Yeah, I bet. I bet it was a massive adventure. Yeah, and there was one. There was one place we got to. We asked the old lady at the at the store. It was just in just into New South Wales, actually. We asked the lady at the store if we could have some water and for the horses if we could and we said, Oh yeah, we're happy to buy water for them and so on and we'd just get a get some buckets for the horses and she said, Where have you come from? We said from Perth. She said she sung out, Harold, get the bath. These poor horses have come all the way across the desert <laughs> <laughs> which was was very amusing to ask. It was pretty true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. So you're at Gemalong. Um, you, you made it to six goals, didn't you? That's a pretty... Oh, five goals. Five I goals. Dad was six, so I got the five. Yeah, yeah. right. Eh? Plenty of overseas travel in there, mate? Yeah, yeah. I, when I left Gemalong, 
I um, sort of turned freelance and I played well, all over Australia, really. Got my own truck and horses and, and just hired myself out, basically. But I had been to America with the Carl Betzers. I went to Santa Barbara and played there. And, and you see, he, he ran a team in Santa Barbara as well. So I, w- I had been and done that. And then when I left Gemini, I freelanced for a while. And then I got a, got a job. I played in Hawaii, which seems a little bit strange. But it's an interesting thing about Hawaii. The two biggest cattle ranches in the United States are both in Hawaii. Is that right? <laughs> so it's you think of it just being a little patch of islands, but there's quite a bit of land there, really. Hmm. Was it during those polo days where you got more involved in the chiropractor, mate? Yeah, uh, absolutely. What, out of necessity or just keeping your own uh, string yeah. right? Or? Necessity, interest. Because of uh, Dad and his his thing about making horses feel better, he always said that a horse is a creature of habit. And if he's doing something, changes something in his habit, it's because he's sore or you're doing something wrong. Yes. And it became my sort of motto and my reason for why I, um, I did what I did. I didn't have the technique or the the knowledge that I've got now, of course. But, um, and then this fella turned up at Gemalong one day, a bloke called Gary Christo, who became quite famous because he's the man that was able to fix takeover target and turn him into the superstar he was. He turned up at the thing. He said, oh, I've come to do the horses. I didn't know what he was talking about. And we, so we had a bit of a yarn and I said, well, can you fix me? That was my biggest problem. I had a bad back, and so he fixed me on the spot across my office desk, actually. And, <laughs> and then um, we got to doing some horses. I had a big old gelding that I'd taken with me that was a pretty pretty handy horse, but he um, just had a one little quirk that he used to, if you made a tight left-hand turn, and had to go on with it, he'd do half a turn, but if you had to do a full circle, he'd hop off his inside front leg. I didn't know what that was, and I thought he had a thing wrong with his foot all over the place, couldn't find it. He found this, this Gary Christo found the spot in about two seconds flat and fixed him, and the horse was never sore again. Is that right? So uh, that, that's when you thought, uh, oh, I've got to delve a bit deeper into this. Yeah, so I've got to, I then decided I've got to get into this. I've got to learn more about it. Then I went to the States. I was playing in Santa Barbara and we got washed out. They closed the fields for six weeks. So I went to uh, what they call an alternative healing clinic at the Oklahoma Veterinary College and met a man there called Jack Ma, who was old. He was old and quite sore, but was uh, so much knowledge. It was like, it was almost like meeting my dad again, you know, in a different, different form. Well, when there was a four-day hands-on type clinic and whether he obviously saw something that he liked in me or thought I was the, the one that be able to help him, he said to me, asked me what I was doing, and then he said, you want to come with me for a couple of weeks? We're doing a lightning tour around the States to the vet colleges to um, teach people what to do, how to do this. He said, but I can't do the work now. My hands have had it. He said, if you want to come and do the work, I'll do the talking. 
So that was that was a, a blessing that I could never repay him really. Yeah, and um, that was a wonderful trip. He's passed on, but he, um, like all those good old fellas, they do that. And um, he had, had written several books, of which I've got a couple, and others are all online. And he was, he was a magic man. He was a muscle therapist rather than a manipulator. And um, But it's been a godsend to me because I had learnt to do both. Yes. From, from Gary Christo. And I said to him, can you teach me to do this? He said, probably not. <laughs> so that sort of staggered me a bit. And then um, as time went on, he used to come every month and to do the horses. And, and he said, the horses are getting less. I said, yeah, I've been able to fix a few. Well, he said, oh, perhaps I can, perhaps I can um, teach you then. So that was good that he decided that he could give me a hand, which he did immensely. Yeah. And so that's how I got into it. And I never did it to make a living out of it or as anything. It was only for my own benefit and to keep horses feeling happy with themselves. Well, definitely end up in your favour because I've been with you on a couple of chiropractic runs and, and my job's trying to hold the wallet up for you. So uh, everywhere we seem to go, there's a lot there's a lot of horses lined up. There's a lot of horses around it. And people are starting, even the vets now are starting to um, – recommend that people get things done not necessarily to me but some of the vets local vets here you know like i'll send people to a vet because i can't fix a horse and i say i think it's got a bad hock or what or a bad joint here or a bad joint there and they take the vet and the vet says well if he says it has i'm going to just inject that straight away i won't bother to do the x-rays yep and but that's just purely because of many, many years and thousands and thousands of horses that tell you what's wrong with them, you know, and if you're prepared to listen, you can hear it all. Absolutely. Hey, folks, Scotty Keogh here. Now, a wise man told me once, if you're going to take advice off someone, just make sure he does it for a living, because if he gets it wrong, it affects his table. Now, when it comes to feeding horses, I feed Riverina products. They've assembled this product with not only the best team of nutritionists available, but also collaborating with some of Australia's most prolific horsemen who have shown more horses and won more blue ribbons than anyone. So if you want to do the best thing by your horse, trust the professionals and use Riverina. You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh. So when and where did training the racehorses kick in, mate? Uh, yeah, I um, had a bad fall playing polo and and spent three days asleep and and um, <laughs> was a bit entertained, sort of, what am I going to do for a living, you know? I can't play polo. They wouldn't let me ride for a long time. And, and I was getting to the stage, so I was getting older and the stage where I, I didn't want to travel as much as I had been and, it was hard work. It got so it was really hard work, the travel and stepping up to to the plate every time at the age of 50-something was, and, you know, like the other kids were only 25 and 30, you know. It made it, made it pretty tough. So I thought I'll do some pre-training. Anyway, I got a couple of horses going for, for different people, different trainers in town, and then one of the owners came and said, this horse is better now than he ever was. 
do you want to train him? I said, I haven't got a licence. They said, well, if you get one, we'll give you the horse. So they did. We won one race with him and he was never any good and I never won another race for those people, but they they were the inspiring family that got me into, into racing. So, how so many, I did that for 20-odd years. How many would you have in the barn at, at your biggest, mate? Oh, only, only sort of 10 or 12. Yep. Because well, I, was still, I was doing the chiropractics a bit and, and um, I like to be hands-on with them. And so it's a limited time factor, really. And, of course, we lived out of town. It's really hard to get good staff. And Although I had some great people working for me at different times. Well, I've seen you still shooing them there not that long ago. I mean, you're yeah, that's right. definitely yeah. very hands-on. Yeah. And I, um, I had a big horse, big horse that was born with, had a club foot. A lovely horse, except for this club foot. And he used to go a bit sore in it. And the young fella I had shoeing, world-class farrier, and I was saying to him, there's something wrong here. He goes, goes sore in his club foot. What can we do? Oh, I don't know. He says, anyway. So I, I watched him walking and doing anyway, and I worked out that he um, was slapping. He's hitting the ground with the outside of his toe on the – was on the offside front foot. And he used to hit the ground with a – with the outside of the toe first and slap his heel down and he was bruising his heel. Yep. So I ch- changed his angles and his thing a little bit. Working with a club foot was really hard. But I just took the pressure off that off that inside heel and he won two two group races yeah. after that. So. Do you know the the probably the weirdest thing that mightn't sound that weird that I saw at your racehorse stables one day? So I've looked in this horse's feed tin just being nosy and it's full of bricks and horseshoes. And straight away yeah. I thought to myself, some bastards tried to nobble one of Ivan's horses here. They've, they've bloody thrown this in his feed tin. But you told me you used to put it in there and just get them fast eaters to slow down so they'd find their chaff yeah. in amongst a few obstacles. Yeah, they so wouldn't so they wouldn't throw their throw their feet out on the ground and or they'd eat slowly. You know, some horses wolf it down and and stand around looking bored for the rest of the day. I thought that was awesome. That was just a little subtle thing that I thought this this guy is a real horseman. I, yeah, it was just something little, but just something I always remembered. Yeah. So, what would you say was the highlight of your racehorse training career, mate? Oh, I don't know. I think probably. That horse, Sentenza, because he was, wasn't was that accurate, he wasn't the best horse I trained by a long way, but it was something that I could do that made him... He, he didn't travel as well as he should have done, and I was able to fix that. Yeah, and you got that, some satisfaction there. Good. Yep. But um, I had a mare I was training. I got up in the morning and she was in the wrong... Well, she was out of a paddock altogether. There was nobody there. She'd gone over the gate... Gate was a bit bent. Whether a dog had chased her or what, I don't know. We had a few problems with dogs in that area. So she somersaulted over the gate and was carrying a leg. And I got her going again and I had to manipulate her neck quite severely and and her shoulder and then the hindquarters where she'd obviously slapped on the ground. And so she had a bad SI joint. Took me three months, but she came out and won a couple. Those sort of things, more than winning, I won some, some good races, you know. Like I say, I won two group races with Centenza. I had Big Ted, he went to 
Adelaide and he ran fifth in the Port Adelaide Cup and then bolted on the jock and led in the in the Adelaide Cup itself over two mile and and didn't finish on, ran tenth in that, which probably wasn't a bad effort, but I um he was still in front when they came into the straight, so he'd done reasonably well. Yeah, right. Um, there's those things but they hard but the being able to, to fix horses that had problems. You know, like Alan Matthews is a lifelong friend. He was used to be a bit of a polar cross player. He's the Cups king over here. He won the, won the Perth Cup seven times. It was over two mile, and he just had a knack of getting two miles to go. He was, a bit, he was like the West Australian Bart Cummings, really. Yeah. He, um, he rang me up. He said, I got a mare that's a bit sore, but I want to start her in the Cup. Can you come and have a look at her? I said, oh, I don't know. This is was one of my first paid jobs, actually. You know, he just heard that I could do some things with her. And that was before I'd started training. She had a really sore shoulder. And I was able to fix that in a couple of sessions. She came out and won the Perth Cup. And she was only 14.3. Tiny little mare, ran the Perth, won the Perth Cup over two miles. And... The next year, he said, you better have a look at that mare again. He said, she's in the cup again. So I went back and had another look at her. and She didn't have much wrong with her. She was in pretty good shape, really. And he um, went out and won it again. So he won it two years in a row with the same 14-3 hand pony. Oh, you bargain. You would have liked her in your polo string, mate. Oh, she'd have been unbelievable. Yeah. Huh. What do you reckon if, and this is putting you on the spot here, if you'd ask your dad one more question about horses, what do you reckon it'd be? Um, why do they insist on hurting themselves? <laughs> why do the good ones insist on hurting themselves? Well, I don't uh, think always... even Stan Haggerty can answer that one, mate. Yeah. Mate, you still get around to the odd polo cross carnival? You have a, have a run oh, here yeah. and there? I don't play polo cross. I played polo this last season. Yeah, right, eh? Yeah. But that was eight years since I'd played before and I... I thought I might die, but, yeah, by the end of the season, I was going pretty good. So basically semi-retired now. The racehorses are all gone. Yeah. Uh, COVID got in the way a little bit, but you were planning on being just a bit of a grey nomad and just drifting about doing a bit of chiropractic. Wasn't that the plan you were coming? Yeah, COVID COVID got in the road. Of course, my current partner, Deb, she had a bad accident. That's why I got out of the racehorses. Yep. Really, I got to the stage where it was hard work, hard getting top horses yeah so and when she got hurt she used to be a great help to me in the stables and so on so we decided we'd, we'd leave we'd sell the place which we did we bought a caravan lived in that for two years and eventually we found this little place in, in the vines by the golf course and we keep our horses at a friend's place down the road just got the two a couple that i play very low goal polo on so we were going to travel, but COVID stopped that, and then then the floods over east, and so that was stopped us going around. But there is some thought that we might do the do the lap of the big paddock, and maybe next year go all across nationals are at Chinchilla, so we might go there and then go across, come across the top to Catherine and up into Darwin. Just for a look around, but trouble is, there's still too many people wanting me to work. You know. Well, I know a bloke just outside of Warwick that's got a spot for your caravan, and uh, and there's plenty of work <laughs> there. That's the good news, mate. 
Just got to supply your own wages, and uh, it'll be just paradise, I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be pretty good. Yeah. Well, mate, it's not I've, bad. I've not loved... a bad spot. I've been there once. Yeah, that's right. Bad. That's right. Well, mate, I've loved this yarn, Ivan. You are one of the true horsemen I've got to meet in my journey, and I hope your family and friends, and many family and friends, get to listen to this and just a glimpse of the life you've led. And uh, mate, you've got a lot to tell. I, I hope you write a book one day. I really do. So. Um, Mate, um, always a pleasure, Ivan, and uh, I hope to see you soon sometime. Yeah, good to talk to you. Cheers, mate. Yeah, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. Bye. You're listening to the Swapping Lies podcast with Scotty Keogh. If you want to take your horsemanship to the next level with downloadable videos, equipment, merch, and DVDs with proven results, visit skhorsemanship.com.au and find out why they sell in nine countries. With Scotty's clear, understandable methods with no gimmicks, just authentic horsemanship that will make your next ride a better one.